hunt of spiritual gifts. And as we've been looking at this incredible promise and incredible truth that we find in this portion of Scripture, we want to be reminded this morning once again as we continue seeing how God puts together the local New Testament church. And I thank God designed, I thank God that He is the one that designed the local New Testament church. Thankful I did not. I would mess it up. Uh, and so I'm thankful that this is God's design and we can follow His design. And the closer we get to what God desires, the more we see God bless and work in our church. And truly we want to follow Him and His leading. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, notice what the Bible tells us in verse number 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity that we have uh, to look at your word. God, teach us. God, thank you for it. Thank you for the direction and the clear source in which we have in the word of God. Now help us, I pray. Teach us, guide us in, in truth. And God will give you the praise and glory for how you work. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Now help us, I pray, to truly to know your heart and mind regarding spiritual gifts. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Are you ready to get to work this morning? Uh, we have some work to do as far as scriptures. We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. You know, we state often that we are a Bible-believing church. If we are a Bible-believing church, we ought to use the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Amen. We ought to use the Bible, and we are going to be doing so this morning. And so roll up your spiritual sleeves for just a few moments, and let's dive in and let's get into the Word of God today as we continue through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been looking specifically the last two weeks at just the first six verses. We're not going to finish all the way through the spiritual gifts. I'll just leave it there. We'll hopefully finish before Mother, Mother's Day coming up in just a couple of weeks. That's the plan anyway to conclude this portion of Scripture next week. But we'll be looking at some of them this morning as we again work and just pair Scripture with Scripture and let the Word of God teach us. 
we've been looking first and foremost in verse number one and three through the introduction of spiritual gifts. Paul introduces it and relays a heart, a theme that Jesus is Lord. The theme is to proclaim Jesus Christ and to let him lead and for him to be exalted in our lives. Spiritual gifts is not to exalt us, it's to exalt Jesus Christ. Spirit compels our heart to do exactly what he does. He testifies of Jesus Christ and he compels our hearts to do that same thing, to testify of Jesus Christ. A Christian who is sensitive and yielded to the Spirit of God will be encouraged in their spirit to testify of our wonderful Savior, Jesus. The second area in which we looked at was the source of spiritual gifts. In verses number four through six, we looked at this thought last week as we saw that the source of all spiritual gifts comes from God. He is the source of all gifts and every talent, every ability that he gave the local church comes from him. We looked at that phrase last in the last part of verse number six, that he worketh all in all. He knows who needs that gift and he works it all together for a reason, for a purpose. He puts everything and connects everything so it all fits and is the product in which God desires. God knows what's needed in a church. Not every church need needed what Corinthians uh, what the church in Corinthian uh, in Corinth, excuse me, the, that Corinthian church needed. Not everyone needed all the same things that this church needed and God worked all in all. He knew what was needed and he truly gave what was needed in each respective setting. And thank God for that. Thank God that God knows exactly what we need and gives us what we need to work together to get the gospel around the world. Now, I want us to look at verse number seven this morning as we continue on this thought, the advantage of spiritual gifts. We've looked at the source, we've looked at the introduction, now let's look at the advantage. What, how, what has God advantage the spiritual gifts with in the church? Look at verse number 7, we'll use this for an introduction verse, and then we'll get right into the meat of the subject this morning. Notice the Bible says in verse number 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Let me define some of these words here this morning. We look at that word manifestation. It's a big word. It simply means a clear indication of the existence or presence or nature of some person or thing. So in other words, the manifestation, the clarity of how God is involved is truly given through the Spirit. Notice it says, of the Spirit it's not something that's worked up. It's not something one uh, uh, positions themselves in. It's what God gives. The indicator that the Spirit of God is working or is blessing through this church in Corinth or how he is moving this church forward is through the gift of the spirits of God that were an indicator that God is for this. It was an indication that God is for this church, that God wanted this church to continue. It was up to the Holy Spirit to work and perform through this church to show whom this church belongs to and who is enabling the gifts. It is truly a 
clear testimony or a manifestation that the Spirit of God is working in this church. Now, notice it says, prophet is given to every man to profit. We're going to look at that last word with all in just a moment, but I want you to know what this word profit means. This word profit means to be advantageous. That's exactly what it means. In other words, to become or uh, to be or be, be or become appropriate for achieving a particular end. In other words, there was an advantage to the Holy Spirit of God manifesting or showing that he had a part in this church, that he was working in this church. There was a product, there was a ends to the means for this. Notice he says that advantageous though, that advantage of the spiritual gifts, the advantage of the Holy Spirit working through these individuals was to do what? To profit with all. If we were to stop just at that word profit, we could easily become very prideful in a church because, hey, my gift is to profit, to advantage. But remember, we've got to put the whole context of Scripture in. If we just take one verse and just simply apply it to how we think and how we desire, we can misconstrue this and truly mean things in which God did not intend for it to be. That word withal means togetherness. God says, I want to profit or advantage together. I want all things to connect together for a profit, to advantage, to move forward. This, over the last uh, month or so, my family and I have been on a war with some mice that have found their way in the garage. They have invaded and have decided to go through things that they ought not to go. They tried to eat Jonathan's school curriculum for next year. Uh, Naughty, naughty mice. You've crossed the line. That's expensive material right there. Uh, They ate a leather coat that I had been saving, hoping that I could wear it one day uh, again. And uh, they, they decided they wanted for their nest. Okay, if there was a crossing of the line at the curriculum, it was definitely a crossing of the line with my coat. That's it. All war is declared. And we caught one. The very first night, we caught one and right straight away, put a little bit of peanut butter in the trap. And sure enough, we caught it and uh, we disposed of that one. However, there was another one that was there. Our dog, Maple, she got into the garage and she was really searching and looking. We thought there was just the one. But she was sniffing and sourcing out that there was something else in that garage that should not be. And we thought everything was gone and she was just being her blonde self. She's a blonde dog and she is a a blonde, true and true. Uh, She's, yeah, she's ditzy sometimes, that's for sure. Uh, And so she was attacking and things and we thought she was chasing some lights and such. And we thought that's exactly what she was doing. And that was not the case. She knew that there was another mice or mouse there and she was looking. And so yesterday, my family and I decided to put everything together. Uh, we decided to pull everything out of the garage and begin 
searching for that nest. And sure enough, all the way in the back corner underneath a chest of drawers that we had, underneath a pile of school curriculum that went that goes higher than my head, uh, way up in the air on the back corner there, there was a nest back there. Now, I didn't want to pull everything out. So we uh, got a hoover and we began just to suck up that nest. And uh, there was one time that it was just thump. And I thought, did I just suck up the mouse? Did I just get it and pull it into the hoover? That's not what happened, but uh, we hoped it for a second. And so we went on a war path yesterday and we set up traps everywhere. My wife went out and got this one because it seemed like no matter what we put on that, it would clean the trap but not set it off. And we thought, what in the world? This mouse is either one of those really clever mice that is just going above and beyond the call of duty, taking every bit of bait, but not setting off the trap. So we got one of those electric ones that thought, okay, as soon as it steps on, it will be energized. Amen. It will be energized into another dimension of death. And so it's gone. It's history. We are getting that uh, mouse and we found some areas so we did a lot of cleaning set up everything we even put almost everything in the corner in the middle of the garage and uh so my woodworking tools are not accessible at the moment and so uh but everything is there and so we set out all these things put found all these different paths in which we thought it was going and hoped we were catching a mouse hoping everything would work together disrupting its nest so it would have to go search for new stuff and new food uh, because it managed to take a whole box of breadcrumbs and completely empty a whole box of breadcrumbs. So it probably was over in that nest with just uh, breadcrumbs all over its uh, whiskers, laying back thinking, boy, that was wonderful. And uh, I had a store there for years, I think. There was a lot of stuff back there. But we searched and we set all the traps out. And guess what? We walked out this morning, and right now we've got to walk out through our garage to get out of our house. Long story. Our front door does not work. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, hopefully it'll work sometime this week. But it forced us to go through the garage. And so here we go, going to the garage to leave for church this morning. And we checked the chaps. And sure enough, there's a mouse. We thought by the big box breadcrumbs and all the other things that it has gathered uh parts of a boot and a good section of a huge coat and all these things that this mouse would be about 50 pounds in weight it's not it was one of the smallest mice i've seen so either a there's another another one that's bigger around uh or b it's the one that it was just well well energized and was running uh, out on our exercise equipment or something and just losing weight. I'm not sure what it was, but we caught it. Everything worked together, disrupting its nest, putting all those traps out, and we were able to catch the mouse. Everything fit together like we wanted. There's something about things that fit together and do what you intend or what you desire. I love engineering. I love looking at the gears and such of some massive machinery. And those small gears are enabled to move and do some amazing and fantastic things. And when everything meshes together and works well, it's able to produce and to profit together for a common purpose. That's what a church is supposed to be. It's supposed to mesh together work together 
for a common purpose. What is that purpose? Well, the Bible tells us in verse number three. Let's remind ourselves of it again. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. What's the purpose of a church? Is to exalt our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when a church meshes together, the body of believers work together as gears, as cogs, in a machinery, so to speak, that exalts Jesus Christ and furthers the gospel of Jesus Christ. God wants the church to profit with all, to advantage together for the purpose of exalting Jesus Christ and getting him his wonderful name across this world. God gives in a clear indicator through his wonderful Holy Spirit working through a church that he, can add, that he truly adds power and testimony to our lives to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. God assembles a team, a group of people together to further Jesus Christ and to further the gospel. What a wonderful thing it is that God chooses us to be part of his church. I remember when I was growing up and I would be standing in queue looking to see who would pick me to be on their team for sports. Now, I've never been very adept in a lot of sports, a couple sports I enjoyed playing and I could do well. I enjoyed playing baseball. I enjoyed playing kickball, which similar to baseball, just with a ball instead of a, uh, instead of a baseball. I enjoyed a couple things that I could play well, and on those things, I would get picked usually not the first, because I couldn't run the fastest, I wasn't the most coordinated, but I had the advantage of being that clinch hitter, being the one that could hit and such the ball or kick the ball, and I would get picked for a couple of sports, however many of them, I would be the one that, okay, well, if it's got to come down to this person or Justin, okay, all right, well, I'll, I'll pick that one. Uh, and if I have to have him, I'll have him. That was me. I was just, I was not the one that picked. I was not the one that wanted to be or was desired to be on the team. I say that so you feel bad for me. Don't you feel bad for me? Everyone, oh, you know, I'm so sad. But uh, (laughs) that's right. Here's the world's small, my dad would say, this is the world's smallest violin playing your song. Uh, And so uh, just saying that to simply state, we know what it's like at times to look and want to be a part of something, but you're not chosen, you're not picked. God chooses you. You're his choice. He looks and he says, I want you to be a part of the local church because I have a place for you that will further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? Sometimes we look at ourselves and say, God, what you want, you want to choose me? 
You want me to be a part of your work to further the gospel of Jesus Christ? And God says, with my Holy Spirit, I can do things through your life that you did not think was possible. And what an incredible thing it is that God chooses us to be a part of the local family of believers, to further the gospel, to further the testimony of Jesus Christ, and to get his glorious name to nations and to regions beyond. What an incredible thing it is that God uses us and chooses us to further him, to further the cause of Jesus Christ. God chooses you this morning. And what a thing, what, what a wonderful and awesome thing it is that God wants and desires to use us. The Spirit of God looked at the church in Corinth and it enabled the church in Corinth to powerfully further the message of their Lord Jesus Christ through the spiritual gifts he gave to them. He says, I want to use and I want to work through you and I'm going to give you some gifts. I'm going to give you some talents so you can further the gospel in Corinth and throughout the regions. But how did he do so? What gifts did he give them? Look, please, first of all, at verse number eight. In verse number eight, we see Paul uh, Paul defining two gifts. I'm going to call them this morning the gifts of comprehension. We're going to see that here in just a moment. First of all, look at the first part of verse number eight with me. For to one is given by the Spirit, and notice the terminology, it's very important, the word of wisdom. And we'll stop there for right now. That word word is the word logos, which means an utterance. This is the same word that God uses when he speaks of his word, the Bible, the candid of Scripture. God says he has given to some the spirit or through his spirit the word of wisdom. That word wisdom is the Greek word sophia which means prudence, discretion. But it is joined in terminology or in uh, or in context of verbiage in the Greek language with a skill or an ability to reveal or to give wisdom. God says he has given some the ability or the gift to do what? To give the word of God, to speak the word of God afresh. And in this context in the church in Corinth, anew. Anew as in it was being penned still. You see, when the church, when when this letter was written to the church in Corinth, precious little of the New Testament had been written at this time. One Thessalonians was definitely written. Two Thessalonians may have been, some think it was a little later, but one Thessalonians was already penned to the church in Thessalonica. Galatians may have been written at this time, depending on the time frame as you piece the puzzle together uh there's a few things in which we don't know exact time but it's possible the letter in uh the letter could have been written to the church in galatia the book of james was probably written at this point and so the brother of jesus christ james had given the instruction that we've been going through of course on wednesday nights 
Matthew and Mark may also have been in circulation at this point, but truly not precious little of the New Testament, precious little of the 27 books that we call the New Testament had been given at this point. And the gift that God gave this early church was access to New Testament truth, even though some of it had not been formally given by the means of the written word. So when God says he gave the word of wisdom, it means that he was giving some the precious, wonderful gift of the utterance of the spirit of God to give forth what we would call the word of God. He would come together and God would use that and preserve his word together and he would do so through the gift of the spirit of God. We know that the word of God was not written by men, but of the spirit of God. And the spirit of God moved men like Paul, as we see in Corinthians, and he would later, of course, pen two Corinthians. How did he do so? By the word of wisdom. The Holy Spirit of God would move upon his heart to speak wisdom, to give truth of the word of God. What was already preserved in heaven and already given, the Holy Spirit was working and making it known through these men. The Bible speaks of this and confers with this. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, notice this, the spirit of wisdom. Or excuse me, Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, a Bible-believing church, a church that loved to compare Scripture with Scripture. And he says, look, he says, I want you to be given what? The spirit of wisdom. Not only do I want you to know that wisdom, the same word that we saw in 1 Corinthians, not only do I want you to have it, but I want you to have the spirit of that. I want you to understand the spirit in which it is written. And revelation, notice, in the knowledge of him. He says, I want you to have the word of God. I want you to have what God is showing to me and to others as the New Testament was continuing to form as it was being given to this church in Ephesus. And he says, I want you to, do, want you to have it. And I want you to have it in the right spirit. And I want you to do so in the knowledge of him. He says, so I want you to remember who it's all about. It's all about Jesus Christ. And we are giving you the word of God to help you frame your mind, frame your spirit, frame your life to Jesus. That was the purpose. That was the intent. That's what the word of God is, is to conform us, to shape us to Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9. We see again this same terminology of wisdom, of the giving of wisdom found here once again. In Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9, the Bible says, For this cause we also, since the days we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye may be filled with knowledge of his will. So I want you to know God's will. How do you, do, how do you know God's will? In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. How do we know what God has for us? How do we know what the Holy Spirit has for us? His word. That's why the word of God is so important because it helps us to understand who he is and what he desires for our lives because he knows what's best. God doesn't lie. He loves us. And he wants what is best for us. And he says, I want you to have my wisdom. Why? So you can know what I desire, what my will is. 
Notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll look at this further when we come to it, but I want us to be reminded of it as we continue through this journey. But let's look, mention it here this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 6, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you by revelation, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine. Paul stated that the gift of wisdom, the gift of being able to reveal, to show the word of God and do so with knowledge and to do so by explaining and going through scripture, doing so on the very basis and on the wonderful fluidity of the word of God throughout scripture of doctrine, it was a vital and an important thing. And Paul says, when I come to you, he says, I don't want to come to you speaking with tongues. I want to come to you with profiting you by what? By showing you what the word of God has to say and what the word of God is revealing to us and is giving to us as the New Testament is being penned. We need to understand the context. And as we understand the context of Scripture, and we'll continue through this, and we'll continue seeing how God shows this, and we'll see some of it here in just a few moments. But God teaches us that this is something that he did not give to every generation. Prophets, the apostles. But God had a time in which the full candidate of Scripture was, was done. It was concluded. His word, everything we need, was finished when John ended in Revelation. That was the end. And that word of wisdom, the utterance of giving Scripture, God does not need to give anymore. It's done. It's finished. He's not hiding anything from us. We have his word. And as he has given his word, that word of wisdom, yes, it has was given. When Paul wrote, it was still very much prevalent. But now... We get, to be the blessed, we get to be blessed by that wisdom that has been given. Paul continues in verse number 8. He gave truly the gift of inspiration, inspiring scripture through men. Pens, instruments that would simply write down and pen the word of God. But then we see the gift of insight. Notice what the Bible says in the last part of verse number 8. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. That word knowledge there is the same Greek word, logos, utterance. That word knowledge there is the Greek word gnosis, which means inspired and inerrant teaching. But this teaching truly is primarily already made by God in his written word. So it is teaching, but it is teaching based upon what the word of God has to state. It is looking at what God has given through the word of wisdom or through the utterance of giving scripture. And now it is helping one to know or expounding upon that teaching that God has given. We mentioned that at this point of Scripture, we know that 1 Thessalonians was written to the church in Thessalonica. 
That word of wisdom would be that letter that was given to the church in Thessalonica. That was Paul helping through uh, this church, the word of wisdom. It would be the word of knowledge that would be used as the church in Thessalonica was received that letter to expound upon the wisdom that was given. It was expounding or teaching upon the word of God, teaching what that truth states and how we can practically put it into one's life. You see, the Holy Spirit knew exactly what was already in God's word and what was going to be given to plenarily, uh, which means to fully or complete God's word, and uh, which is what we call, of course, the word of God. And the Holy Spirit of God gifted the apostles and prophets to give God's word and also to expound upon that word or to teach it and to apply it. It's giving doctrine and then showing how we can practically apply that doctrine, how we can implement it into our lives. That is the word of wisdom and coupled with the word of knowledge. Both work together and the Bible indicates and instructs us that as this was given, it was once again given in utterance or in uh, or in framing the word of God, or in giving the word of God. And as the word of God was given, there would be a time in which this word of knowledge would, like the word of wisdom, would not need to be given to the church, would not need to be given to his people. God gave his word, God expounded upon it, and now that time God transitions into the teaching and preaching of the word of God taking what has been given and now expounding upon it to the local church. Are you with me on this? Do you understand? Okay. So we are looking through. I'm trying to be as teaching yet practical and simplified as I can this morning. And I believe it's important that we understand the frame in which God made and or God gave his word. God truly gave his word and taught his word and thank God for that. It's very much like Moses when Moses not only gave God's word through, of course, the leading of who? God. God gave his word, and then what did Moses do? He expounded upon it. The Bible tells us he taught the people. He instructed the people what was needed. And as they instructed, they said, what God said, we will do. Now, they didn't hold up their end, but they heard not only the wisdom of God given, but they learned how they can implement it. God said, thou shalt not kill. And Moses said, to implement this, do not kill. <laughs> Simple as that. Let's continue. Let's go on. Let's move forward in the scriptures as Moses would continue to be given the word of God. And the word of God truly gives us not only inspiration, but it also has been given through insight. And thank God for word and uh, truly we can see that throughout scripture scripture does not contradict itself think about that for just a moment all these different authors so many different authors dozens of authors and not one word contradicts itself that could only be done through what the gift of wisdom and the gift of insight it's the only way possible the gift of the word of wisdom, giving that scripture, giving the word of God to us. And that's what the Bible teaches us in verse number eight is. Remember, he's talking to a first century church. 
God's completed his word. Things do not need to continue to us today. The Bible teaches us that God not only gave the gift of comprehension, but he gives the gift of confirmation. Let me, before we continue here this morning, let me give you just a little bit of background here as we continue. And I think we're going to stop here at verse number nine in just a moment. But I want us to understand here what Scripture teaches us. God desired when he created man, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. God designed every parent, the parents, to do what? To teach their children what? Scripture. To teach them about God. That was the design. We see Adam and Eve teaching that even through the story of, uh, of Cain and Abel. Abel listened. Cain chose to go his own way. Cain's offering was rejected. Why? Because he did not listen to the instruction Adam and Eve gave to their children. There was a breakdown in communication. But God intended for every family to carry forth the truth of God's word. And that was the intention. That's what God desired and designed. However, man failed. Man chose not to go that direction. And so since man failed, God chose one family, the family of Abraham, through his son Isaac, to give the children of Israel one family that would be the church, if we can compare it to today, not fully, but if we can use it for a simple analogy this morning, of a family that would be a, an example and a testimony and further the gospel and further the news of God. That was the intention. God gave the children of Israel a wonderful ability and a wonderful, uh, wonderful in, uh, tools through his word to do what? To proclaim his word and, of course, to further God so that all the world may know the Lord. However, as we know, the children of Israel did not listen. They rejected. And when they rejected God, Jesus came on the scene. When Jesus came on the scene, he showed his people, the people of Israel, powerfully and without excuse who he was. He gave them many signs. The Bible says they looked for a sign and Jesus gave them many, many signs that he is God. And yet, they rejected him. They chose not to follow his word. Do. God chose to use the church. The children of Israel, he's not forgotten them. In fact, we will see in throughout the tribulation, the Jews will once again be the primary means to get the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for this time, God has used, has designed the church to do what? To further the gospel of Jesus Christ. In no way replacing Israel. Please don't mistake in that. There's some false teaching today that the church replaces Israel. That's not true. God is still for his people. God loves the people of Israel. God loves the Jew and the Greek. He loves the world. But since the Jews are not listening or listening to the voice of God, God has chosen to use or has designed the church 
to reach out into the world to the Jew first and also to the Greek to get the gospel around the world. And truly, we are seeing the church do that, albeit we can do a much better job. It's sad today that, as we heard last night uh, on the PWMI meeting, that the agenda of some groups like the LGBTQ, uh, TQ, RSE, and all the other things that they include um, is further propagated than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ought to change that. We ought to hold forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ought to truly further the gospel of him. Sometimes we as Christians can just simply cast a finger and say, oh, well, this is propaganda is going forward. Why don't we change that? Why don't we change the message? Why don't we forth the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's just not sit and woe is me. Look at this propaganda go forward. Let's do something about it. It burdens my heart when I hear the stories of those remote uh, tribes in Africa who know, who know about Coca-Cola but know nothing about Jesus Christ. There's something wrong if a secular company can do more to reach with a product that they are just going to enjoy for a moment than the children of God can do to, pro, uh, to get the exclaim and to proclaim the word of God that will not only change the moment, it'll change their eternity. Oh, heaven help us. Holy Spirit, please forgive us of our sin. We have been disobedient and we truly need to further and to increase our zeal and our heart and have a revival in our spirit to get the gospel around the world. But Jesus started the church. I went on a rabbit trail there for a moment. Look at Matthew chapter 16. I want us to see how Jesus started the church. Sometimes you hear that the church started in Acts chapter 2. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the church was started by Jesus Christ himself. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I, I the Son of Man, am? And they said, some, said uh, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias or Elijah, and others Jeremiah or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church." Now let me just kind of identify a couple things here. That word rock is not the same word for the rock in which Peter stands for. That word Peter is the Greek word petros, which means little stone, pebble. That's not what Jesus is referring to upon this rock. That's not what he was speaking of. He was speaking in reference to himself. He said, upon me, upon this rock, upon who I am, notice what he says, I will build my church. Now, how can you build something that does not exist? The church existed. How did it exist? Because Jesus organized it. Jesus instituted and developed the local church. It was already in existence. Notice, and he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
we can be on the offensive. We can go reaching the world of the gospel of Jesus. We can profit with all, advance, advance or advantage together with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because God's given us the authority to do so. He said, hell cannot stop us. What a great power that is. How many times do we look at something and say, I don't know if I should because what happens if this, this, this? God says, I'm behind you. You can go forward without fear because I'm in charge. And when Jesus Christ is leading and we are following the leadership of God, what an incredible thing it is and what great power he gives to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. God gives us the tools to go forward with the gospel of Christ. We ought to act out by faith and to exhibit what God has for us. Notice what the Bible says, And I will give unto these the, kings, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus Christ speaking to the disciples speaking to his people who are following him there as they uh, uh, hear his teaching. Jesus demonstrated to the Jews, or excuse me, and that uh, God then demonstrated to the Jews the priesthood of the believer was going to be opened or was going to be to all through, yea, his very death on the cross. Jesus Christ was not leaving the priesthood just to one uh, or, or just to the priest of the temple, but he was going to break out from the temple, if we can put it that way, because the Jews and the Pharisees tried to keep Jesus or God in that temple, and he was there, and it was a power and authority uh, uh, ego trip, if we can put it that way, of we're going to keep God in our own little box, and God says, I'm going to break out of your box. You're going to try to confine me. I'm going to break out of that. I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to radically change things. And he did. In, Pro in Matthew chapter 27, look at verse number 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the veil of the temple was ripped. It was torn. It was rent in, uh, rent in two. Why was it why was it torn open? Because God was pulling back the priesthood or the authority of the believer that we can come to God. We don't have to come to man. We can go straight to God. We can go straight to Jesus Christ. We can go straight to God the Father. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the mediator. And thank God for that. The Bible teaches us that God would then open up and redirect and radically change things into the point in which he would display with powers of confirmation what he was going to do and his authority behind the church. Look at Mark chapter 16, please, with me very quickly. I need to hasten. That clock goes too quickly. Uh, either I have too many notes or the clock just goes too fast. I'm not sure which one it is or both. I don't know. Uh, Mark chapter 16, look at verse number 14 with me, please. And the Bible says, Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. Jesus Christ has, ascent, or has risen from the dead. He's meeting with the eleven disciples here and abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall uh, uh, believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. 
In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, key phrase right there, and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. God says, I'm going to empower and equip the church, and I'm going to demonstrate powerfully that in this radical change of time that I am with the church. You look at the moments in history in which God has changed or God has redirected or has changed some uh, mighty things throughout history, and it has always been accompanied by a great power of signs. You look at the flood. That was a great power of change. That was a great sign. He gave the sign of the rainbow or the bow in heaven. That's not to do with LGBT. It's to do with God's promise saying he's not going to destroy earth again with with water he's going to destroy his fire next time when the children of israel were taken out of egypt what did he do so signs 10 plagues a sign of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire a sign of manna every day he powerfully demonstrated to them this is me i'm leading this there was no confusion about who was behind it it was god and when he instituted or empowered the church in this early days of of the new testament church god powerfully showed signs he powerfully gave them signs of confirmation to do what to exhibit that this is of god this is what god desired this isn't man-made this is god-made This is what God has desired. Don't forget that, please. Oh, please don't misconstrue that or to take these things and saying that these need to still be given today. Why do they need to be given today? God has established very clearly that he's behind the church. Did the 10 plagues continue when the children of Israel were in the promised land? No. Why did they? They were there. God gave them his word. They didn't, need, they didn't need the signs then. Did God continue to flood and flood and flood and flood? No, he did it once. Powerfully showed a sign. Does he need to continually give signs to give authority or confirmation of the church? No, he does not. Five years ago, nearly five years ago when became pastor here Uh, so many stories of how god powerfully demonstrated to my heart and life that this is what god desired oh i wish we could go through the stories but time will not allow us to do so of how god just demonstrated over and over and over again this is what i have this is this is my design this is where you ought to be need to be but does he need to do the same thing five years later I've got his word. 
Now, sometimes he gives assurance a little bit. But he doesn't need to do the same thing continually. Why? Because he's confirmed it. He's given that blessing. He has helped us to see that this is what God desires. The same thing is true with this, local, with this New Testament church. God instituted it. God made the radical change. And with this radical change, he confirmed it through signs. And we'll see some here in just a moment. Notice what the Bible says quickly in Hebrews chapter 2. And we'll continue. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 3. Notice how he says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the word and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? It was confirmed by what? By those that heard him. Heard the Lord. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. God chose to give the early church some powerful gifts of confirmation to what? To demonstrate that the church was not a man's design, but it was of God's design. God gave these gifts, these miracles, these things to show that he is for the church He's demonstrated that. He's recorded in his word. Does that need to continue? God does not speak of that it does. Very quickly here, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at two, uh, and we will have to stop by my space of time there. To another, faith by the same Spirit. The Bible teaches us here that he gives, as he gives the gifts of confirmation, confirming that God is for the church, the first gift that he gives is the gift of faith. Now remember, Paul is speaking to a church of believers. Harley, can I get you to do me a favor? If you would take that chair and just push it all the way next to the platform here quickly for me, I would appreciate that very much. Thank you. Use that for an illustration. Perfect. The Bible teaches us that Paul was talking to the Corinthian church, a group of believers. This is not a saving faith in which he's speaking of. Saving faith is a simple faith. It is a simple faith of putting one's faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 18 that it is a childlike faith. The Bible says in verse number one, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. God tells us that the gift of a child or this childlike faith, if we could put it that way, is a simple faith. Salvation is a simple faith. It's not a complex faith. It's looking at Jesus Christ, seeing who he is, seeing the powerful evidence of Jesus Christ being God, that he died for our sins, that he was buried and he rose again. And one says, you know what? I trust in God. And it's by simply taking a step of faith that says, I believe God. And it's just simply choosing to transfer your faith, your steps from what you were wanting to believe 
to Jesus Christ, repenting of those things, turning from those things, and stepping out upon God himself, upon Jesus Christ. It is choosing to believe in who Jesus is. It's simply like standing on this chair. It's as simple as that. It's a simple faith of saying, I want to believe in Jesus Christ, and choosing and stepping out and putting one's faith in that. It's as simple as that. It's a simple faith. So Paul here is not speaking of faith of a faith that is uh, a, a salvation faith as far as the childlike faith here he's speaking of a miraculous faith he's speaking of a faith that god gives in a powerful way the bible speaks of this in matthew chapter 17 verse number 20 uh, if you want to turn there fine if not just watch the screens and it'll be up there the bible says because of your unbelief for verily i say unto you if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed ye shall say unto this mountain remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible to you when Paul was speaking of this gift of faith, it was a gift of faith that not was only legislative, saying, God, I want to, I want to see this happen, but it is also executive in the fact that he says, God, I want you to do so, and God truly did so. It was legislative in fact that it demonstrated a desire, but it was executive in that it, uh, and that it followed with a powerful sign of faith. This is exampled by Paul himself in Acts chapter 13. In verse number 8, the Bible tells us, But Elamus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, notice these words, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, now here's this faith that the, we are speaking of in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, O fool, of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of righteous, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking the some, uh, seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, Notice this word, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Have we, we've, we've made the argument, we've made the, pre, the context that God uses the spiritual gifts to what? To further Jesus Christ. Paul used this gift of faith to what? Further the cause of Jesus Christ. And the deputy who was with this sorcerer did what? He got saved. Because of what? Because of this act of faith. This was a step of faith. Paul legislated, Paul enacted it, Paul gave it, and truly it was, ex it was uh, uh, executed, it was truly given and done, as Paul stated. And because of that, someone came to know Christ as Savior. What an incredible thing it is when the gifts of the Spirit of God work together does what? It furthers Jesus Christ, just as Paul stated. Look very quickly at verse number nine once again, and we'll end on this gift here. The Bible says, to another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. In the early days, God was powerfully establishing that he was truly having his hand and his will upon the local church. 
in Acts chapter 3. We don't have time to turn there and look at it for sake of time. We'll skip these verses, David, uh, just so you know. Uh, But in Acts chapter 3, we see Peter stepping out and truly uh, seeing God bless and use to heal a lame man, one that could not walk, and he received strength, and he was able to walk, went into the temple praising God. And the Bible tells us that people were filled with wonder and amazement at what God had done, and it opened the opportunity for people to come to know Christ as Savior. In Acts chapter 14, we'll turn there for sake of time, the Bible tells us, and there was um, there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lycaonia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. They desired and wanted to uh, to, uh, 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 to follow and wanted to worship Saul, uh, Saul uh, or Paul uh, for this amazing miracle that he did in Acts chapter 14. But notice what the Bible tells us in Acts 14, verse number 15. And saying, sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions. Don't worship Uh, don't worship us we are not the ones that are to be worshiped and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living god which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein paul said please don't uh, don't worship me uh don't worship who i am i'm not one i don't want you to know who i am uh, what my, I don't want you to worship my abilities or what I can do. I want you to go to God. I want you to focus upon him. Now look quickly at Acts 14, verse number 22. And the Bible tells us, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Us that God used this this man who likewise was lame was not able to walk to be able to be walk and to uh, uh, to be able to go again or to go uh, the bible tells us that god used that to do what to open the conversation to lead others to jesus christ that is an incredible and a wonderful and a powerful thing that god would use this gift of healing to do what to further the gospel of jesus christ that's so contradictory to today's implementation among some for this gift some have healing services and come and watch me heal you don't find that in the word of god it was always a tool it was always a part of the gear frame to do what to tell someone else the gospel of jesus christ and by the way those who had the gifts of healing were not afraid going to the areas that there were sick and lame and those that with diseases were they were not afraid of those things they were not afraid of going to the hospitals of today let me ask the simple question if the gift of healing was still relevant today why are they not going into the hospitals so jesus did so the disciples did if it's all for a show, if it's all to just simply exemplify what you think power you, you have in your life, why not go to the hospital and help those who are sick? 
There's too many today that want to do what? Show a gift. And the focus is upon the gift. What they think is a gift. There's good argument that the gift of healing, God has phased away. And we see that, and we'll see that in just a second in the gift of Paul. Now, does God still heal? Does God still do miracles? Absolutely. We've seen God do some miraculous things. I've seen God heal in my own life. God does heal. Absolutely. I'm not taking away from that at all. However, the powerful sign gifts was teaching to the church in Corinth, God says, I'm going to phase out. I'm going to do away with. Why? Because they're not needed. He's demonstrated that confirmation that he is for the local church. And then God fades that away. And God still gives us tools. And we'll see that in the book of James as, we'll, as we continue through that on how God tells us to pray for healing and seek his will and to seek his mind. But even Paul himself, who saw God's healing hand work through him, still dealt with us infirmity. So if it was a gift of healing that you ought to command however you will, why did Paul suffer with a gift of infirmity? He could have just put his hand on himself and said, I'd be healed. (laughs) But that's not what happened. Why? Because God said, I've shown it, I've confirmed it, and now it'll fade away. In the same demonstrative example in which it was given the bible teaches us and paul even saw this fading away of this gift in his ministry the bible tells us in 2 timothy chapter 4 and verse number 20 erastus abode at corinth but trophimus notice this have i left at my leadum sick paul said i left this man Later in his ministry, God did not choose to heal that man at that time. In Philippians chapter 2, verse number 25, Paul states, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because that ye heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but on me, but lest I should sorrow upon sorrow. Paul said, look, Epaphroditus was sick. He was dead. God's chosen to give him health and strength again. But it wasn't through a gift of healing. Like Paul Saul in Acts 14. Paul taught his young, uh, young Timothy, young pastor, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 23, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Paul said, I know you're struggling with health, with struggling with sickness, Timothy. He says, take a little bit of grape juice, take a little bit of juice for thy stomach's sake and for thine often infirmity, speaking of other health problems. Paul understood that this gift of healing was for a moment, was for a time. 
and God was going to fade it away, and he saw that in his own ministry. It came time to where he implemented what James taught, to pray for the sick. And God may choose to heal, but God may not choose to heal. It's God's will. It's God's choice. The gift of healing was something truly that God used to powerfully demonstrate to the Jews that he was for the church. And as the church spread and as the church began to go into more and more Gentile nations, the Bible says the Jews require a sign, but the Greeks look after wisdom. They want to know what the Word of God has to say. The Jews were looking for a sign. So God said, I'll give you some signs to show you that I'm for the church. But as the church spread into Gentile nations, he says they're looking for the truth. And so many people are. So many people are looking for that truth. And God uses the gifts of the Holy Spirit to work together to do what? To further the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel goes forward as a church works, is put together by the wonderful wisdom of the Scripture, wonderful wisdom of the Word, wonderful wisdom of the Holy Spirit, putting us together and connecting our gears together, if we can put it that way, to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to be a part of that. And as we continue through the gifts of the Spirit, may we understand the context in the Bible context that God gives. It's so important that we understand that God loves us. He wants us to work together as a unified body, meshing together, preaching Jesus Christ. That's the message. It's not a, it's not a contest. It's rather the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we truly see that implemented and see that more and more as we dive into Scripture. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for this time. And God, I pray that you would help us to see uh, what these spiritual gifts. And God, we were a little more teachy today, and we looked at a lot of Scripture, and I understand that. And God, what a wonderful thing it is, though, that we can compare Scripture to Scripture, that you've given us your word. You've given us that word of wisdom and that word of knowledge that has been preserved for us. And God, we have your word today, and we can truly look at it and study it learn from it, grow with it. Thank you for it. And God, I pray that you would help us now to take what the Word of God teaches us and to see how we can apply these things as far as helping those who might be deceived with prideful display of a gift, distracting them from Jesus Christ. May we encourage them in Bible truth to help them understand that the gospel is permanent. It's uh, it's what a church should be focused upon, not upon a gift moment, but rather the message of Jesus.